and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Today, we will be looking at the second playoff, the first leg of the second playoff rounds in the Copa Libertadores for 2019. I'm your host, Austin Miller, a full squad on the podcast today. We will start in Santiago with Adam Brandon. Adam, how are you doing? Is it a demotion to go from the host chair to the panel for a podcast like this? Or are we just kind of rejiggering the team here to start 2019? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's more of a reshuffle than, than any kind of demotion. Um, obviously, I've been concentrating on the under-20 South American Championship. So I didn't feel comfortable taking the taking the big seat for, for the Libertadores uh, hosting role for this. But um, looking forward to talking about the two Chilean sides in the competition anyway. Considering you were the one who, who made the decision, I didn't expect you to really classify it as a demotion. But, but a good call by you. Your U20 coverage has been very, very good, and, and we've certainly enjoyed checking that out. Also on this week's show, Simon Edwards in Medellin, Colombia. Simon, how are you doing? Good to have you back. Yeah, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, lots and lots of football going on. Lots of intriguing football. Lots of good football. Lots of intriguing football. And yeah, looking forward to chatting today. And finally, we've got our Argentine expert in Norwich. No, it's not Emmy Buendia. It's Tom Robinson. Tom, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks, Austin. Obviously, it's it's good to see the Libertadores get back into almost what feels like proper Libertadores with a with a full week of fixtures. But at the same time, you know, there's obviously a lot of sad news around South American football at the moment with Emiliano uh, Sala and the, the horrible news that came out of Flamengo this morning. So, yeah, kind of mixed emotions, but looking forward to f- focusing on matters on the pitch. Good to have you here, Tom. And for those of you who are looking for that U20 coverage, one more match day to go as we record this. We'll have a full recap of that tournament, previewing who will be headed to the World Cup, breaking down what went wrong with nations such as Brazil, probably. That'll be out for you next week, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But as for now, it's on to the Libertadores. And Tom, I will start with you with the headlining result, I think, of this week. And that came from Cordoba. Tayeres 2, Sao Paulo 0. The Brazilian Giants held in check in the first half and then a pair of goals for the Argentines in the second half. And they now have a pretty significant advantage heading to next week's second leg at the Modumbi. A really impressive result for Tayeres here. Yeah, really big result and, and a very emotional game for them. Uh, you know, they're one of the biggest clubs from the interior of, uh, of Argentina. There's a lot of emotive social media videos about their return to continental football going into the game. And, you know, always, always good to have a, you know, a big, well-supported club um, there at the Kempers, you know, hosting one of another one of the biggest clubs on the continent. So, you know, for people who maybe aren't quite as familiar with them, they're, they're a club that have been, well, they'd spent 12 years out of the top flight, even going down to the third division. They came back up in 2016 and, and have done really well um, with, um, yeah, first Cadelka, who's, who's now managing in Chile, um, and now Voivola, who's um, who's another one of those good managers to have come through at Defensa who was this year. So, um, yeah, they've they've been sort of waiting for this return to the uh, Libertadores, and they certainly didn't uh, disappoint with a fantastic 2-0 win. Uh, the pitch was fairly sodden, which kind of made made it difficult for loads of chances to, to be created, and, and it, it was a pretty even game, to be fair. Um, certainly... Uh, Sao Paulo had, had their chances, um, 
one really good block from Pochettino kept them out sort of midway through the first half and, and Hudson um, saw a chance well saved by Herrera. Um, but then there was an absolute beautiful goal from uh, Juan Ramirez. Really nice build-up play across that was half cleared. And then Ramirez did so well to control it at quite an awkward height uh, with his chest um, and then un- unleashed this beautiful arrowed left-footed strike into the top corner Um I think Pablo had a good chance to to equalise sort of a, sh- uh, a set piece that then um, the shot sort of came across the face of goal and was inches wide from getting that equaliser. Um, but then with Hudson getting a red card for Sao Paulo and they kind of just look to kind of sit back, take the one nil back to Brazil, and and think, well, you know what, it's it's a loss, but. Maybe maybe we can turn it around on home soil, but they paid the price for that. And some really patient build-up from Talleres um, ended up with um, Pochettino, no relation to Mauricio, um, doing a lovely little one-two and then rifling the second in right at the death. So, yeah, huge, huge result. Um, did did you catch much of this, Austin? I, I did, I did. And this is another edition of, of Sao Paulo in crisis, I think. And, and this has been a theme for this club for... A long time now, really. Uh, you know, last can hear year, the joy in your voice as you said that, Austin. <laughs> I'm just stating the facts, Adam. Uh, Rogerio Seni took over at the start of last year, or two years ago, maybe at this point. I don't know. Yes, two years ago at this point, and ever since then, they've just been shuffling through managers. They were stuck in a relegation battle two years ago. Hernanis did a fantastic job to bring them out of that. He's back in the squad, and I thought he was the best player on the pitch for them. Last year, Diego Aguirre did a very good job to get Sao Paulo to where they got. Then he was let go towards the end of last year. Andre Jardim, who had kind of been their eternal interim, if you will. He was the guy who always took charge when they were changing managers. Then got the permanent full-time job. Didn't make a great start, I think it's fair to say, to 2019. They had uh, an embarrassing loss to Guarani in the state championships. They were outplayed by Jorge Sampaoli Santos in the state championships. But that would have all been forgotten with a good Libertadores performance. Obviously, that didn't happen. And now they are on the brink of of going out before they even get to the group stage, before they even get to the round to get to the group stage. And I think it would be really interesting to see what would happen there. This is a pretty good Sao Paulo side. I think Hernanis is one of the best players in Brazil. He's shown his class. Thiago Volpi is a huge upgrade in goal, better than anything that they've had since Rogério Ceni. I think it's fair to say. They paid a lot of money to bring Pablo in. As you said, Tommy had a really good chance that just sprayed wide of that far post. But then they were let down again by Hudson, who just kind of went clumsily in to break up a counterattack, already on a yellow, got himself sent off, and that then led to that second Tayeda's goal. I think 1-0 would have been an okay result for Sao Paulo, but, but 2 is going to be a lot to come back from. And this is an absolutely wild stat that I saw on Global Sports. In Sao Paulo's last 15 continental matches, so that's either the Libertadores or the Sulamericana, they've had 13 red cards, which is just an absurd, absurd stat. 13 in 15 matches. Another one, obviously, here. Uh, Tom, I think it's fair to say that they're in trouble because, as anybody will know, an away goal for Talleres and all of a sudden Sao Paulo need four, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this Sao Paulo side at the Modem B next week. Oh, for sure. And um, I was interested to hear what you said about the, the squad there because when I was just sort of reading through the team sheet, it just seemed fairly old and uninspiring apart from, apart from a few quality players in there like Hernandez and um, Everton and, and a few players like that. 
I thought that, I mean, even by Sao Paulo standards, there, there wasn't too much to get excited about. And I think that Tajeres, buoyed on by that home support um, and just had a bit more energy and a, and a bit more composure about themselves. You know, they had a, quite a young defence in there, which could have been tested. You know, Cruz, uh, Cruz Comar and Tenalia, both 22, both fullbacks 23. I think, in fact, the left-back Enzo Diaz was actually his debut um since he joined on loan from sort of second division side of uh, agropecuario. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you would have thought that that experience would have helped Sao Paulo, especially for against the side that's, that's not been in continental competition for, for such a long time now. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with their energy. Pochettino and Cubas in the, in the midfield doing all the running for the, the 40 year old Pablo Guinassu, um, who's just uh, your, your t- textbook, uh, Libertador is legend there, you know, looks a bit like Danny Trecco's long lost brother um, sitting at the base of midfield, breaking things up, but he can still do a job. And with, you know, the big name signing of Dairo Moreno up front and, and the pacey Tuku Palacios alongside him, I think there's quite a lot to like about this Tayeda uh, team. And uh, it's nice to see a, a different, uh, a different Argentinian side represented in the, in the Libertadores. And you think now with that two goal advantage, you you want to think that they should be able to hold on. And like you said, just get that one goal and they're pretty much through to the next round. And I think that's what sets this second leg up so interestingly, especially with the pressure that Sao Paulo have been under to start 2019, is if things kind of go poorly for them to start off that match, I think you can see the crowd maybe turn. It's going to be a pressure-filled atmosphere. But like you say, if Sao Paulo then can score early, well, then they're just one goal away from forcing penalties, and that would open the tie right up. So a fascinating second leg to come at the Morenbi. You won't want to miss it, that's for sure. Let's move on to another match that took place on Wednesday night. Palestino of Chile hosted Independiente Medellin of Colombia. Adam, you were at that match. A 1-1 result, the final score. Finally poised for that second leg. Walk us through what happened. Yeah, so this was Palestino's first Libertadores match for a few years now. Um, they did make it to the group stage, I think it was back in 2015, by beating Nacional of Uruguay in a, in a playoff to reach the group stage. And they very nearly made it to the last 16 as well. Um, since then, in the Chilean league, we've kind of been a bit up and down. They nearly went down uh, um, last year. Um, but... They did manage to qualify for the Copa Chile, um, for the Copa Libertadores by winning the Copa Chile. So from that squad last year, there's been some changes, but key figures have remained. Um, among them, uh, Luis Jimenez, uh, that's the ex-West Ham into Milan player, so some of our listeners may know him. Um, he's He's well into his 30s now, but yeah, still a class act at, at this level. Um, Palestino through and through. And um, yeah, he was great in the Copa Chile final last year. So heading into this match, I kind of saw him as certainly a key man to perhaps uh, to perhaps uh, exploit any weaknesses in the, in the Deportivo Independiente Medellin side. Um I was actually quite impressed with the start Palestino got to this game. Uh, they started pretty quickly, and uh, I think they had something like four shots within the first five minutes of the match, which is fairly unusual in a, in a first leg Libertadores tie. Usually, it's it's quite tight, but they certainly tested the keeper a couple of times, and 
And during the first half, it felt like the goal was going to come, but it it never did. And they were, and they was, and it certainly could feel in the stadium. The match was played actually. Should mention this as well. Palestino's ground not um, not suitable uh, for for Commonwealth, so they were forced to play it in a different stadium, and they chose Universidad Católica Stadium, which is kind of way out um, on sort of a, nearly on the outskirts of of, of Santiago. I mean, in a in a rich part, so a bit of a nightmare to get to. Um, they still managed to pull in what about seven thousand for this one? I think it was in the end. So so yeah, pretty good support. But you could feel among the support that that perhaps their best chance had gone in that first half. And then around the hour mark in the second half, they suddenly found themselves one nil down. Um, a nice finish from Cano uh, after a classic uh, counter attack. They they had threatened that the Colombians most of the night. I, I let Simon talk more about the Colombian. View on things, view on things in a minute, but I felt that they weren't particularly impressive on the night, and I think Palestino will be a little bit disappointed they haven't come away with with a with a slight advantage um, heading back to Colombia. Um, right after, well, about two three minutes after it must have been, um, Dim taking the lead. Palestino did manage to find a equaliser, and it was Jimenez who was instrumental in that playing a lovely ball to to the right to Soto um the 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 fullback and he cut it back to Julian Fernandez to to sweep it home into the corner for for 1-1 it was a really nice move probably the two goals were the two real moments of quality in the game um looking back um but like i say the dim the dim goal possibly should have been ruled out for offside or probably should have been ruled out for offside so Palestina I think will count themselves a little bit unlucky that they um, that, that they're not winning this tie heading into the second leg um, I felt that the game did fizzle out a little bit after those two goals were scored for reasons for that not quite sure really um, but yeah I think partly it was because both sides didn't really want to head into that second leg um, with a def- deficit. And Simon, what did you what did you make of this dim performance? 1-1 result, they got an away goal, coming back to Medellin, probably happy with the result, particularly as Adam said, given that the goal could have been chopped off for offside? Yeah, I mean, it, overall the result is decent. I think Medellin will fancy their chances at home, second leg, um, especially given how poorly they started the first half. Uh, both sides looked a little bit anxious, Medellin really never got on the ball, never looked comfortable in possession. Palestino kind of grew a bit of confidence, having looked at the opposition and thought, there's not that much to worry about here. You could kind of see them settling and look, look much stronger in the in the first half, towards the end of the first half. Um, the goal you mentioned, really good work from Leonardo Castro. Um, Medellin last year played kind of a 4-4-2. This year it's similar. But Caicedo's gone, and they've replaced him with uh, Leonardo Castro, who'd suffered quite a lot of injuries over the last couple of years, but he's a very, very good player. Kind of in the Rafael Santos Borre mold of a kind of hard-working, all-action, uh, supplementary striker. Uh, and I think with Cano's finishing, that could be something good. For me, the problem with Medellin is that they've got half a really good team. Uh, the goalkeeper's good. Palasa, the fullback who was involved in a, in a lot of the most dangerous moments that Medellin had, is very good at getting forward. Uh, Rico Ate, the playmaker, is is the one guy who really likes to get on the ball and pass it. Uh, 
And then the two strikers, Kano is a good finisher. Leo Castro is is a very good all-rounder. Had a few really good long-range efforts as well. But the rest are all kind of hard-working, no-nonsense ball winners. So you really need to get those four ingredients together to really make something happen. So I think Medellin will fancy their chance in the second leg and, and then obviously a, a difficult potential uh, next qualifying round. Will they make the tournament? We'll have to see. But there's a lot of variables in this Medellin team. There's uh, a few good, interesting sparks, but a lot of drudgery along the way as well. So, you know, Medellin, decent result. Some good players in this squad, but I, you know, I do worry that there's a lot of players who, if they receive the ball, are only going to play a five-yard pass, which is fine, but you also need someone to open things up a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I think I was going to ask you a question, Simon. How, how do you think Dim will approach the the second leg because to me and I think you've kind of mentioned this but they're more of a side who rely a lot on their pace out wide so they're kind of more of a side set up for an away leg than a home leg it felt to me so I'll be interested to see how they approach that second leg whether they'd be happy for Palestino to have some of the ball and carry on playing on the counter as they did in this game, or you think they will try to dominate possession? Well, I think one of the things that they really struggled with in in the first half particularly is that a lot of their their width and a lot of their, their, their threat comes from the wide players, the fullbacks pushing on. And they need to pass the ball two or three times in midfield to be able to give those fullbacks time to get forward. Um, so I think while there is there is pace and there is kind of the counter-attacking potential on this side. I also think that having the opportunity to get those fullbacks involved higher up the field, giving them some width, and then having the ball in and around the box where their most dangerous and most influential players in Castro and Cano are, um, may also kind of play into their hands. So while they do have the potential to be kind of a more counter-attacking team, Cano in particular really likes having the ball in the box. He's a typical penalty box striker, uh, who will like to pounce on the, the opportunity. So I think I think they do have the, the players and you know away from home they can they can look good too, but they rely on keeping the ball a little bit more under pressure. And I think if Palestina do sit back, then the fullbacks would come more into it. And I think that's one of Medellin's real strengths. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's too much pace in this Palestino side. So they're certainly not particularly well set up for for counter-attacking. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating second leg. Um, I think uh, I think Palestino do have a little bit of hope, um, judging on that performance from Dim. But as we've seen in the Libertadores, year after year, game after game, you know, what how a side looks away from home can sometimes look completely different once they, once they get in home surroundings. Should certainly be an interesting second leg next week in Medellin. Let's move on to the first match from this round that happened on Tuesday, and that saw Danubio and Atletico Mineiro of Brazil play out a 2-2 draw in Montevideo. Tom, I'll come to you on this one. I think this was, in the end, a pretty disappointing result for Atletico Mineiro. They took the lead in this match twice, both goals coming from Ricardo Oliveira, still doing it at a high level at his age. Uh, I thought he did very well on both of the goals. A great run on the first one. Maybe a hint of offside, 
but he was able to, to stay on at least enough for the assistant referee to finish through then the legs of the goalkeeper. And then a really nicely taken header to get that second goal. But in between, Atletico Mineiro allowed Danubio to get back in this match twice. And so instead of maybe a dominant advantage going back home to Belo Horizonte, they have the advantage on the away goals. But Tom, they maybe could have had a bit more from this match. Yeah, Atletico Mineiro are definitely the, the better side. And it's one of those weird results because like you say, they do have the advantage. They've got the away goals. They've got the home leg coming up. They'll be confident that they can put Danubio to the sword. But like you said, also a bit of a, a missed opportunity. Um, so, yeah, this was another game, uh, a bit like Palestina, which wasn't able to take place at the, the home stadium. Um, so Danubio ended up playing at their their bitter rival rivals Defensors Stadium because I think it's something to do with the floodlights, not being up to scratch or something like that at uh, the Jardines del Hipodromo, which is a which is a lovely small crumbling stadium that well supposedly holds about fourteen thousand, but it probably can only take about eight or nine. Um, but yeah, Danubio, nice to have them in the competition because they've they you know they've produced a lot of young players. You know, recently Sarachi at Leipzig. Alaïs as well, who did well for the under-20s. And, and looking back further, players like Cavani, Recova, uh, Jose Jimenez. Um, and, you know, we, we all love that lovely black sash across the uh, the white kit as well. So nice to have Danubio. And they showed a lot of heart. You know, they, they didn't know when they would be coming back, as you said, twice um, to sort of frustrate Atletico Mineiro, who, who, who were definitely the better side. I think, as you said, Oliveira showing some of that form for he showed back in 2015 um yeah like you said as well that that hint of off, offside um on the first one but i think he was probably just i think you could give him the benefit of the doubt there and the covering defender i don't know what he was doing he, he just completely gave up after he thought he'd, his offside trap had worked and and it was just a clear run for Oliveira to go in and get the first um, but yeah, there was um, there were some good bits from Casares and Chara, uh, Luan as well was heavily involved in a lot of the game. Um, one of the survivors of that 2013 Mineiro side that, that won the Libertadores, um, and they created lots of chances. But they they came up against um, Federico Cristoforo, um, the goalkeeper for Danubio, in inspired form. He sort of both looked a bit like and played like Jason Statham in Mean Machine. Just nothing could get past him. Um, and then that gave Danubio the chance to, you know, to not to be too heavily behind. And, uh, and first of all, Federico Gonzalez, um, you know, he, he scored a, uh, after a, a quite a nicely well-worked team goal. And then right at the death, another follically challenged um, Danubio player popped up for a, an important moment with um, Sergio Felipe thumping in an equaliser. Um, so, yeah, uh, Christopher definitely stand out for Danubio um, and he's kept the minute really. And it was you know, quite an entertaining game. And I think the Uruguayans will be quite happy that they went toe to toe with one of the, you know, the, the better sides on the continent and, and played their way and, and managed to come out of it um, alive. And, and now they're just sort of hoping that they can nick something over in, in Brazil and, and, and progress. But yeah, certainly quite, quite a fun little game uh, to, uh, to be honest. Jason Statham and follically challenged some of your best work there, Robbo. I like that. <laughs> well, you know, it was it just it it came to me. Someone is you know not necessarily blessed with a with a lot of hair. It's a something close to my heart. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, very quickly on Atlético Mineiro, like you said, I think they'll be a bit disappointed by this. 
I think they should still be pretty heavily favored to go through in this tie, uh, even with the, the draw here. I thought they played some pretty good football for most of this match. I think in stark contrast to how they played in this competition a couple of years back, I thought they moved the ball well. Granted, maybe that will change when they come up against some stronger opposition, but the, the attacking players that they have in Elias, Juan Casadas, Ricardo Oliveira, uh, Luan, and Yemi Chada, that, that's a pretty good attacking quintet right there. So I, I would favor them to do pretty well and probably come through to the group stage. Uh, I certainly think that, that they're going to be able to get through this, this tie pretty easily in the second leg, although they probably could have been done and dusted with it at the end of the night in Montevideo. Uh, let's move on to the next match that we'll break down, and this will be Melgar against La U, uh, Universidad de Chile. Adam, I will come to you on this one. A disappointing night, maybe it could be said, for La U uh, in Arequipa. A 1-0 win for Melgar. What would you make of this one? Yeah, I think it's disappointing, especially if you put it in the context that uh, Primera B-side Santiago Wanderers at this stage last year went to Arequipa and beat Melgar 1-0. So... Um, yeah, a lot of the chat has been in reference to that, really, as to how disappointing this defeat was for Lou. Um, but this was a fully deserved win for the Peruvians, I have to say. They, they were a better team for pretty much the first hour of the game, I would say. Um, and one of the best players on the pitch on the night, Alexis uh, Arias, he, he struck a superb Superb strike um, through the, how can we say, it's, it's not high altitude, but well, we say the fi- the finish air, I think, the finish air of Arequipa to decide this this first leg. Um, I think one of us said the Chile looked rather sluggish to me most of the night. Again, I don't know if that's an altitude thing. I did actually have altitude sickness at, in Arequipa once to make this about me for a for a little bit um, <laughs> where I haven't where I haven't got it in places um, such as in Bolivia where I ha- where I hadn't got it there but I did get in in Arequipa so yeah it's is it's, it's you know altitude sickness can affect people at different times in different ways so I, I don't know if the squad was was particularly uh, sluggish for for that reason um but they certainly lacked cohesion as well, which is understandable, I think. And this is where I'm prepared to give them a bit of a free pass, especially in this first leg. This was quite a new look side. I think they had four or five debutants in that starting lineup. Um, they'd made 10 new signings dur- during the South American summer. Um, so, and whilst also letting a similar n- number go out. So you've got a huge churn there. Um, in the dressing room, um, one one player who who has survived that uh, that turnover is Sebastian Ubia, the, the striker. Um, he hit the bar in the first half at nil nil, which was lose really uh, their only real offering. Um, it pretty much in that first hour really, and uh, and when Melgar took the lead, I can't remember a minute. I think it was about five or six minutes into the second half. Um, there was no instant response for, from Lou. They actually could have gone two goals down. But then kind of out the blue, they managed to win a penalty on the hour, on the hour mark. That, that basically came from a counter-attack. Um, Matias Rodriguez, uh, Lou Stalwart, um, stepped up to take it. 
I wasn't particularly confident in him, to be honest. Um, and he blazed it way over the bar. And uh, and one thing I think we've all learnt from that is never blast a penalty with backlift, especially in altitude. Um, I think uh, I think just after that, Melgar al- al- almost made it two 0 if I recall correctly again. Um, but uh, but Lou managed to survive, and then they brought on Panama international Gabriel Torres. Um, I think you you saw a bit of this, didn't you, Austin as well? And and he gave the Melgar backline quite a lot of trouble in the last 20 minutes or so. I was quite surprised that Melgar decided to sit back, given how much they were in control of the tie. Um, Torres actually had only signed 48 hours earlier from Huachapato. Um, but yeah, he really offered Universidad de Chile plenty of movement and pace um, in, in the final stage of this game. And he wasted... Two really good chances as well. One of them a one-on-one where I think he he'd be disappointed, but he uh, that he didn't do better. But yeah, overall the Peruvians deserved it. Um, Lowe will be disappointed uh, not to have scored. I think, especially the fact you know they they had a penalty and a one-on-one uh, and hit the bar. But and I fear that that lack of away goal may prove costly. But we'll see. Having said all that, how many years have we been doing this pod now? I can't remember too many times where a Peruvian side has uh, has impressed away from home. Um, so knowing how badly Peruvian sides uh, travel in this competition, I think there's uh, I think there will be plenty of confidence that the Chileans can still turn this tie around. Adam, I think the only time I remember a Peruvian side impressing away from home was Universitario either last year or the year before, but then they went back and threw it away at home. So maybe they can only be good in one leg. Oh, uh, yes, against the Paraguayan side, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was yeah. Capieta, maybe, if that's... Maybe, yes. That sounds about right. Very quickly on Torres. Like you said, I thought he got into great positions. I thought he gave Lau something... It's just his finishing let him down. Uh, we'll see if that can be cleaned up for the second leg. But I definitely think he gave Lau a different look. And I'm intrigued to see yeah. the approach from both sides in this second leg. Because as you said, Melgar probably weren't too wise to sit back considering how much they dominated this game. If they go to Santiago and decide that they want to sit back and play on the counter, I think that plays right into Lau's hands. I don't think they're that much worse than Lau technically or from a perspective like you said, that Lau is kind of still putting things together so they can maybe come out and play a little bit and maybe surprise him from the off. But if they sit back, I think then it might be Melgar who's in trouble in this second leg. Yeah, definitely. And Melgar have got to look at it from the point of view, you know, if they score a goal in, in, in Santiago, suddenly the Chileans need three. So um, the incentive is there for them to, to not to sit back, really on that one goal lead. I think the nice thing about this round is looking at all of the ties, I don't think we really have anything that's done and dusted as we head towards the second legs, and that's certainly another case of that. We'll keep it with the other match that happened on Tuesday night at the same time, this one in the very thin air of La Paz. It finished the strongest one, Libertad one. Tom, I'll come to you on this match. This was kind of a hipster Libertadores match, wasn't it? On one hand, you've got the strongest, Managed by club legend Pablo Escobar, starting two Panamanian internationals in their side. 
against the Libertad side that is just chock full of Libertadores legends, bringing McNelly Torres off the bench. They've brought in Martin Silva to play in goal. They've got some exciting players. For this to have finished 1-1, I think you'll take it, and this sets up very nicely for the second leg, where we have the age-old question, can a Bolivian side get something away from the thin air? <laughs> yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well there, Austin, because... Yeah, there was there was a lot to enjoy from this. You know, the the strongest always favourites on this pod. You know, the name, the altitude, as you mentioned, Pablo Escobar, and yeah, just just on the sidelines, I think it was interesting because you had uh, the very elegant sartorial choices of, of of Escobar there, the 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 fantastic playmaker in his day, who you think could still probably do a job for the strongest against. Um, the, the more retro stylings of uh, Lionel Alvarez, who who kind of looks like, well, just because he's getting a bit older now, he, he kind of looks like that col- the classic Colombian 90s mullet, but it's gone a bit grey, so it's starting to look like an English barrister's wig. Um, so you had that on the uh, on the sidelines, and then it was replicated by yeah, pr- a pretty fun uh, match. I think the strongest will be disappointed that they didn't make home advantage count. Uh, they... They had a penalty appeal turned down in the first half. Um, they, they, you know, they they did well. They deserved to take the lead. Wired on the the right back was really impressive. Um, offered them loads of width. Uh, Cure as well was was making quite a lot of things happen. But much like Torres in in their Lau game, uh, the, the, his fellow Panamanian Blackburn was uh, was also very wasteful and um, uh, the. Colombian number 10, Jaya Reynoso, missed a, a massive chance as well. You know, he, he was really prolific for San Jose last year and he, he missed a, a massive chance to give the strongest the, the lead. But it eventually was the strongest who made the, made the breakthrough. Uh, Becarano sort of had a speculative shot that took a nick off the defender and, and wrong-footed the keeper. And you kind of thought, OK, here we go. Like, the strongest are going are gonna to sort of take this on and use that to, to get the, the classic win at altitude. Um, but then late on, um, McNelly came off the bench, swung in, swung in a lovely corner. It was sort of half cleared and, and headed back into the danger zone by another substitute, Benitez. And, and the third of the substitutes, um, Adrian Martinez, uh, the Argentinian, sort of did this amazing chest control and acrobatic volley into the top corner. I think it was a it was such a really good week for for Golasso's from from pretty much every game sort of had a, an impressive goal in it and this was up there with the best of them. And Martinez is a really interesting story actually. I mean he's someone that I didn't know a lot about before, but he's um he's recently uh, been signed by Libertad from after having a pretty good season at Soldo America and before that he was actually um in at Atlanta in the third division of Argentinian football, the Primera B Metropolitano. Um, and before that, I think he was even lower, maybe the fourth fourth division. Um, so he, he was a guy that I didn't know a lot, a lot about, and I kind of looked up his history. He's got such an interesting story. So he didn't come through the, the youth ranks of any club. He didn't sign a, a professional contract until he was 22 with Defensores Unidos de Zarate. Um, and I think he got 21 goals in, in, in the sea. Uh, C division there, the fourth fourth tier of Argentinian football. But before that, he he almost lost his hand in a motorbike crash, and he I think he still can't fully extend one of his arms, and he's got loads of scars all over it. Um, because of that, he was sacked from his job as a binman, and then his brother was shot three times, and the, the basically the, um, the the family that that did this to his brother then accused um, Martinez and his father of 
of robbing their house and setting it on fire. So he ended up spending six months in jail before being released after it uh, was proved that that claim was falsified. So he went through all that as a young man and to then sort of rise up the ranks of Argentinian lower division football, um, did well at Atlanta, then saw the America, took that punt on him. And now he's playing for one of the biggest clubs in Paraguay and, and scoring the equaliser in, in a Libertadores game um, in one of his first games there. So really fantastic story from Martinez. And and Libertad will be absolutely buzzing that they got that um, really vital away goal from home, especially considering it was up in altitude and they were under the cosh. So you'd think now with with some of those old heads like Cardozo, Silva, Da Silva, Aquino and Riveros, all well over 35, um, plus, you know, some of these more interesting foreign in- imports like McNelly Torres, uh, Kugo, the um, Uruguayan, Mejia and Rivero, that th- they could do something. And also a great sponsor on their shirt, Pulp. Um, nothing to do with Jarvis Cocker, but just a... A fizzy drink from Paraguay. So a lot to like about this game. That's, uh, that's always been one of the coolest shirts in in South American <laughs> yeah. football. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times on this pod before. Always deserves a shout. <laughs> and Tom, the interesting thing about this tie is whoever comes out of this tie will face the winner of the Deportivo La Guaira Atlético Nacional tie, which we'll get on to in a minute. And neither of those teams looked very impressive. So this could be a situation where either Libertad or the strongest, if they can get something away from home, could then find themselves in the group stage. And I think that would be a pretty good accomplishment for either of these clubs. Yeah, definitely. I think Libertad are often a side that that bother the, the group stages. And, and you usually get a Paraguayan um, getting through and, and getting to the, maybe the quarters, around the 16, occasionally um, the semifinals. And, and the strongest have proven that they're, presence in in any group can is it just that sort of wild card that can even if they don't get through themselves is is often you know a king maker of the group so um both one of the both of these sides are going to be feeling that they can get something out of this they've got good squads full of uh, experience in internationals and and um yeah they'll they'll think that they can probably give uh, atletico nacional um who most likely to get through, let's be honest, um, a, a good run. So, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's move now from Tuesday back to Wednesday. And, Simon, I'll come to you for this one. Defensive Sporting 1, Barcelona 2 in Montevideo. We've got our first controversy of the Copa Libertadores. We will get to that in a second. Let's start with the match itself. A Barcelona side, Simon, that we've enjoyed watching this competition uh, over the past couple of years when they've been in it. Two goals in the second half, including one late on to take the win here. What'd you make of this one? Yeah, I think Barcelona were the the stronger side. Um, Defonso had their chances, um, but it definitely felt like a game that was Barcelona's uh, to, to win. They were kind of on top for the vast majority of the game. Passing the ball well, um, they have pace out wide. Caicedo in particular was very impressive, but they also showed that they can keep it in midfield. Um, Sebastián Pérez in there with Gabriel Márquez. Uh, Marquez in particular was very good in the middle, you know, keeping things ticking over. Sebastian Perez still looks like he's finding his feet, but is a, a player of good quality on the ball in particular and can do his job defensively. 
So this uh, Barcelona team was impressive. Um, nice setting as well with the setting sun over the over the theme park <laughs> uh, in the stadium. It was always nice. So it took them a while to get to get ahead. Um, the the game came. Uh, the first goal came in the 67th minute. Caicedo on the left, driving at the fullback, hung one up to the far post, and it was uh, nicely finished into a basically open net, headed in by Estherija. Um, and you know it looked like Barcelona had this game, and it was more. It seemed to me more a question of if they can get a second, if they can kind of see this game out, uh, maybe put themselves in a dominant position for the second leg. Defensive Sporting then pushed on a little bit more, had a few chances, but it always felt that this kind of played into the hands of Barcelona. Defence had been quite conservative for much of the game, and then as they pushed for the for the goal in the 70th, 80th minute, uh, it looked like maybe Barcelona could get two or three more and, and win this game quite comfortably. And then suddenly Navarro, the the, the striker, 34 years old, graying hair, alarmingly grey, makes me a bit scared that I'm 31 <laughs> and he looks like my dad, uh, at least what I, I imagine. Anyway, <laughs> he scored a, a ridiculous goal, um, knocked long, headed on, uh, and he took a little touch, teed himself up and then volleyed it kind of outside of the foot over the goalkeeper into the, to the corner. Uh, crazy lob, amazing goal. And then Barcelona were immediately woken up and pushed to get the winner. They were putting a lot of pressure on. Um, it looked like it, it might not come. You know, a, a one or draw is okay, but they were definitely in a position to win this quite comfortably. Corner gets cleared. Beltran just has to lump it away, has a terrible touch with the outside of his foot. Pounced upon, quick little exchange of passes. Hung one uh, across into the box and uh, Ariaga up from the back, coolly touches it and passes it past the goalkeeper. So Barcelona, for me, were the stronger side. Defensor will be disappointed. They did have their chances, but uh, it always felt like Barcelona were a little bit more superior in possession and also with a bit more potency on the counter-attack. Um, so a decent game, an interesting game, but uh, Barcelona will be happy with the win, but they'll maybe thinking they could have got a little bit more as well to see this tie tied up in the first round. So, Simon, talking about... Um... You know, uh, you might not have too much love for the salt and pepper uh, stylings of uh, Navarro, but what were Sebastian Perez's blonde highlights all about? That was so distracting. I was just like, what's going on? These the sort of weird flashes every time he sort of run ran around. I'm I'm not a big fan of that, even though you know um, Barcelona do have some quite a cool style about them. Maybe the South American Dortmund. Yeah, well, I know his hairdresser as well, uh, Montro on, on, on Have a word. You can check him out. Yeah, he's always <laughs> Sebastian, but he's always had an interesting look going on. Either either it's the like gelled down long hair with the hairband and the beard, but yeah, just random blonde bits. Maybe if he put some gel in it, maybe it looks good on a night out, but on a football pitch, it was definitely a bit random. Guys, it's not just Sebastian Perez's hair that's making the news from this tie. It's the fact that he played at all. Uh, Defensors Sporting have lodged a protest with Conmebol saying that Pettis was not registered in the proper time frame before appearing on the pitch for Barcelona. So I believe teams have to submit their list of players 24 hours before their first match in the competition. So for Barcelona, that would have been 24 hours before this match. Defensors Sporting alleged that Perez wasn't registered in time for that and then obviously played. So they want this tie to be overturned to a 3-0 result. Obviously, that would have a huge bearing 
bearing on what happens in the second leg. Uh, they've requested that the decision be made by Monday. We will see if that happens, but it is a controversy to keep an eye on. It is the Copa Libertadores, and we are here again. So we'll see about the eligibility of Sebastian Perez. Simon, if this result stays 2-1 to Barcelona, if the appeal is turned down, you would favor them to go through, no? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think with a home crowd, which is like the best in South America, the just yellow everywhere. I don't know how full it will be, but it will be. it's always a good stadium. Yeah, I definitely think Barcelona will be strong, strong favourites. If Defensor go for the goal, then they'll be hit on the counter-attack. If they sit back and defend, they'll be kind of passed into submission. I, I, I like this Barcelona team, and I think Caicedo in particular really gives them an outlet, even against a defence that's sitting back. Uh, he, he skinned his fullback every time, hung up some nice crosses. So I think however Defensor play it, they're going to be up against some trouble. Uh, and I think even if it did end up with a 3-0 win for defence, it could be a, a very, very interesting tie if Barcelona can score early because I can really see them... Uh, yeah, I can see a, a lot of potential in this Barcelona side. Yet another second leg to keep an eye on next week when these return legs happen. Let's move from that match now to another Ecuadorian side, Delphine, the side that we were most impressed with in the first qualifying round. They were held 1-1 at home by a plucky Caracas side. I thought Delphine were the better side in this match, but at the end of the day, Caracas were able to get a very good result for them. They've gotten the away goal that will give them the advantage for the second leg and are in with a shout to go on from this tie. Early on in this one, Delphine were definitely on top, obviously the home side, and then a sloppy defensive play by the Caracas defender, Villanueva. He banged in to uh, Garces in the box. Pretty easy call for the official to, to go and point for the spot. Garces did well with the penalty to give Delphine the 1-0 lead. And it kind of looked like it was going to be Delphine's match to take from there. But then out of nowhere, uh, Bernardo Anyor, who was last seen as, as an MLS cast-off here in the United States with Minnesota United, a great Golasso, as Tom said earlier, a round of Golassos here in the Copa Libertadores. Falling down, he somehow manages to, to put his strike past the Delphine goalkeeper to make this 1-1. And that was all the goal scoring that would happen. Some good chances for Delphine in the second half, particularly right at the end, a goal mouth scramble that Caracas did very well to keep from crossing over the line. That could have certainly changed the outlook of this tie. I thought Delphine were very athletic. That's what we saw in the first qualifying round as well. Garces is a very talented player in the midfield. I like what I saw from him. Ordonez created some danger. Uh, but I'm not sure if Delphine are actually that skilled of a side. And that kind of let them down here. I thought Caracas were, were pretty determined defensively and did well to get a result out of this. Um, Garces is very clearly kind of the man in the midfield who's supposed to string it all together for Delphine. Uh, but he was unable to do that for most of this second half. Um, so a good result from Caracas. That goal mouth scramble could have certainly changed things. And we'll see how this second leg goes. I think it's certainly up in the air. If Delphine are able to kind of sit back and look to hit out on the counter, yes, they don't have the advantage of having an away goal, but they'll have 90 minutes to try and rectify that. So if they give Caracas a bit of the ball, I think that's where they can be most dangerous. But we'll see how this second leg goes. Tom, any thoughts on, on what you'd expect to see from this second leg? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one to call, really, because, um, yeah, after, as you said, after that first round, uh, Delphine were looking like maybe one to watch out for. But um, Caracas did well to keep keep them in the game there. And, and I think an, another player who's who's really key for Delphine is um, Sergio Lopez. He was someone who really was trying to get the ball at, you know, any moment, whether that be out wide or dropping deep into sort of more of a defensive midfield role. And and he, he impressed me. And certainly his set piece delivery was something that I think could give Delphine the, the edge there. Um, I think it's going to be 
it's 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 a really tricky one to call because you you would have expected Delphine to come out, come away with a win here, um, but going to Caracas is not going to be an easy easy game. I think if they can get that away goal, then then they should be fine. And certainly with the likes of Ordonez and Garces, they're they're players who can hit you on the break and um, and and provide a goal threat. So. I'd give Delphine the edge, even though they didn't come away with the, the victory here. Um, but it's certainly going to be another game, as you said earlier, really, really poised and, and really interesting to see who gets through. There's there's certainly the, the sort of the, the the lower level of the, of the teams is is pretty pretty high, considering I, a lot of the games this week. I was actually impressed with some of the play and, and some and some teams that was really you know trying to stamp their their style and authority on games. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's been close, it's been tight, and, um, yeah, all to play for. And good on Caracas. I, I was very impressed with, with their performance here, particularly after going a goal down early. I thought they did very well to, to battle back in it. Well, let's come to the final match here of this second playoff round first leg. And, Simon, this one's all you. Deportivo La Guaira nil, Atletico Nacional one. I think it's fair to say that this match probably inspired the least of any of these matches in this this round. Yeah, La Guaira, I, I thought they might be a bit rubbish, and they were quite rubbish. But they also managed to have uh, 30% more shots on goal than Nacional. So Nacional had seven, made 700 passes, had 80, uh, 79% of possession, and they managed one shot on goal all game, which happened to be the, the winning goal. So, again, <laughs> lots of decent passing and, and the defense looked fine although they did give away a few shots to a team that never had the ball which is perhaps slightly concerning as well but yeah honestly this national team just hadn't had no creation um Barcos was an interesting target man up top at least for the first 30 minutes you could see he tired quite a lot kept him on the pitch the whole game as well which again I think reflects on the the shortage of options the the goal was slow coming Sebastian Gomez with a really, really nice finish on the 70th minute. The first half looked kind of interesting from Nacional. They were moving the ball well, as you would expect, but with a little bit more a little bit more energy, a little bit more creation, without really creating that much, to be honest. Um, Brian Rovira in midfield looked quite good. Sebastian Gomez has been getting a lot of plaudits, but yeah, it's just they have a couple of wingers who are quick. They have a big striker. They can keep the ball in midfield. Um, the defence is very much patched together. The fullbacks are good. Machado and Palacios are good. But then it's uh, Daniel Bocanegra, who's a limited fullback playing at centre-back, and uh, Nicolas Hernandez, who is very interesting but very young. I think Cuesta will be an upgrade on both of them, who's currently with the U20 side, as would Paps Reyes as well, who's with the U20 side. Cuadrado's coming in goal, who's good, played for Colombia before, on Caldas goalkeeper. But there's just not that much. They brought on Cepellini in the first half, uh, who's a playmaker, um, which, again, I think reflected the lack of creation. They wanted to bring someone on, and he struggled to really get a hold on the game. It's the worst of Nacional from last year, to be honest. Pace out wide, uh, a focal point striker, solid passing in the midfield, decent ball winners, uh, attacking fullbacks, but nobody to put their foot on the ball and slow things down and speed things up and, and dictate the tempo. So, you know, Magnoli Torres uh, on the bench for Libertad, he would probably been a, a key difference maker for this Nacional side. So I think they'll progress. I think they'd find it quite hard not to against a team that made less than two passes per minute in the game, which if you think about how quick a pass is, it's quite staggering. Um, so La Guaira, 
have a couple of big strikers, try and play it long, and they occasionally made a couple of chances, which I think reflects poorly, but it would be hard. Nacional would really have to go some to lose this tie. But looking forward, they, they just need some ideas. Just going through the motions so much of this game. It was the first one shown on Facebook, uh, the Copa Libertadores Facebook page. And uh, they, they kept showing their like icons. Oh, are you going to give it a like or a, a smiley face? <laughs> and the number of angry faces went from like 1% to like 25% by the end of this game. So I think that kind of says everything about what was a very underwhelming tie. Nice finish from Gomez, who's been highly rated. But uh, yeah, disappointing to say the least all round. Simon, I think the troubles for Nacional will probably come in the next round should they get through where they'd face either the strongest or Libertad, two sides. But I think based on the evidence of this, like you would certainly favor to, to trouble Nacional, particularly given all of the, the problems that you outlined there. Yeah, I mean, as passionate as the, the Nacional fans are and as much as they love supporting the team, I think Libertad might be more Nacional than Nacional this year with uh, Magnelli Torres and Alex Mejia and Leonel Alvarez, uh, although he said some disparaging things about Nacional as Medellin manager to get to get the fans on the side, maybe he isn't so popular. Definitely, definitely. I, I think Libertad in particular looked very interesting, very good squad, um, experienced, but with a bit more creation. I think Nacional are going to have to decide what they are. They've been getting decent enough results in the league, but it's been one nils here and there. Um, they are superior to the most teams in the Colombian league, but they're not really showing it in terms of the results or the quality of their play. So they need to work out what they are. I think it's going to be pace out wide as, as the focus and then Barcos in the middle, but that's never been the way Nacional play. So it's taken some adaption because they like to play in midfield. As we saw for 2016, that's been the, the model for, for the youth sides, for the way they play, using the midfield to, to work it forward, then using the width and coming back in and, and they don't really have the players to do that, or at least not do it in a way that is threatening the opposition goal. So still many, many questions. The squad is fairly decent, but there's a lot of a lack of creativity uh, and potency in the in the side going forward. So yeah, they'll give they'll give them a game, but whether they can get the goals to get the win is is the big question. One player I wanted to quickly ask you about, Simon, was uh, Brian Brovida. Because he's been someone who was, I remember seeing him for the under-20s and it seemed like he had a great season at Bucaramanga last last year. So do you reckon he's got a, a role to play? Do you think he's someone who could who could, who could make a difference to this side? Yeah, I actually saw him at Envy Garda the year before that as well on loan where he played as a defensive midfielder. I think he's good. People generally here feel that Gomez is the one to watch and Rovira is probably the second best player of this new bunch of uh, of players coming back from loan or coming back into the side. I think he's a good player, but he's a good solid defensive midfielder who passes the ball well, uses it, looks very mature, can kind of perhaps evolve into that Alex Mejia role from 2016. I mean, ideally, we would like to have Alex Mejia back, given that he's gone to a, a, a similar level side in, in Libertad. But uh, I think he has he has the potential to become a useful part of the side but he doesn't fulfill that creative role, which is what Nacional is crying out for. So I can see him having a good year and being a good player. And people have already said, oh, he can he can do the Camposano role. We'll have to see how well he does it. But he has the, the characteristics to fulfill that position. But whether he's going to be the difference maker in what Nacional really need. And also the defence is patched together. So while so far the results have been good, clean sheet this week, Laguerre here really didn't threaten. So 
still questions as to how that defense will come together with a, a fullback and a teenager uh, in the middle of it. Well, that'll do it for our recap here of the second playoff round first legs. As we said on the podcast plenty of times, a lot of really interesting second legs coming next week, so be sure to tune in to all of those. We'll have a podcast recapping it all at the end. Before we go, I want to give the panel a quick chance to let you, the listener, know where they can find you on social media. Adam, I will come to you first. Where can the listeners find you on social media? And will you be in Rancagua for the final day of the Under-20 Championships? Uh, yes, I, I will be there for the final set of matches on, on Sunday. So very much looking forward to that. Um, got my fingers crossed that certainly Ecuador will make it to Poland as they're the side I've enjoyed watching most. And, and hopefully Venezuela as well, because there's some interesting stories there, I feel. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be an emotional day for me on Sunday, I think, because the big East Anglian derbies on Sunday too. So maybe whatever result in that may affect my mood that day. So, uh, yeah, beware. We'll keep a wide berth should things go poorly. Uh, Tom, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And is there anything you'd like to plug at the moment? Yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're still listening, I haven't dozed off at this point, then you can uh, find me on Twitter at TomRobo89. Um, again, it's... Uh, Mainly going to be Sudamericano related. We'll have that pod out hopefully um, in a yeah the start of next week. So yeah, keep keep your ears peeled for that. But other than that, yeah, just just follow me on Twitter. And finally, you Simon. Yeah, Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, yeah, lots of phrasing Campana and Ivan Angulo from the sub twenty. I'm also looking to do a pod this week. I think maybe today about. Colombian music and football and culture and all that stuff but people have sent me so many recommendations I'm a bit overwhelmed and I think I'm going to disappoint my Colombian followers but I think it'll be quite interesting for the international audience I'm a bit mainstream with some of my musical choices so I'm not, not included enough 1970s Bogota punk bands so I, I don't know but yeah so that could be quite fun as well so just check out Twitter for all that stuff sounds like that should be an interesting type for you and we look forward to hearing that you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906 be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to this podcast if you like what we do all that's left for me to say is thanks for listening and goodbye